Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina istafa. Khususan ala sayyidir rusuli wa khatamil anbiya wa ala alihi al-azkiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya amma ba'd. We continue with our class Stories of the Companions, Ridwanullahi Ta'ala Alayhi Majmain. When we look at the stories of the companions from a distant, we notice that there are some common themes, some characteristics, traits that are found in every single one of them. And it shows us that there was a culture that existed at that time. And this culture was set by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. These traits, these attributes were not just coincidental. It was because Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam created an environment. When a person sets a standard and creates an environment, people then fall into that mold. So what we see from the beauty of the companions in reality each and every one of the companions is a subchapter from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. They represent a story, a line, a moment, a day of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Whether it's Umar ibn Khattab radhiyallahu an, Ali ibn Abi Talib radhiyallahu an, Uthman ibn Affan radhiyallahu an, Sayyiduna Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radhiyallahu an, Hassan radhiyallahu an, Hussein radhiyallahu an. They lived what they saw in the Prophet of Allah. And this is why we refer to them as companions. It was suhbah, companionship. We have given so much importance to knowledge in our day and age without realizing that that's not where change and growth is. That is a tool, an ingredient. Change and growth occurs in moments of companionship. Life is about finding the right people who inspire you, who motivate you to grow, to be a better version of yourself. Life is searching for people who you find strength in, people that you see that are better than you, greater than you, people that have something to offer to you. They don't even need to speak, simply observing them in itself is an inspiration. One of my mentors and teachers, Sheikh Yusuf Rahimahullah Ta'ala, on Thursdays, 
he would have a gathering. It was quite motivational and inspirational. The truth is that for the students who ever attended his Thursday gathering, and I attended it, alhamdulillah, almost for nine years, never missed it. His Thursday gathering was one of the most important parts of the week for me. But the thing about his gathering was in those majalis, he did not speak one letter, forget a word. He wouldn't say one word. He would, come, he would come to the gathering, the attendees would sit down quietly. One student would read some salawat upon Rasulullah. He would then face the qibla, and everyone individually would spend some time doing dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He would then leave the gathering. That was the nature of it. So, as students, what we would do is we'd follow him, and then he would stand by the shoe rack, the shoe case area. And all the people that had come from across the country would line up to meet him every Thursday. The line would go from the Shurak area through the hallway, up the staircase, in through the hallway, and inside the upstairs masjid. That's where the line would be. So as students, we were told that there are so many visitors on Thursdays when everyone steps forward to do musafaha with the sheikh, the students should refrain. They should wait it out, find another day, let the guests, let the guests and visitors say their salam. What we would do is stand on the side where the sheikh would be giving salam and just observe the interactions. No words. There was nothing said in these gatherings. He would stand by the shoe rack and one by one they would come and he would shake their hands and with a big smile say to them, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And if it was someone that he didn't recognize, he would ask them, where are you from? If they said they were from out of the country, he would ask, how long are you here for? In some cases, he would tell them, come meet me tomorrow at this time. We can sit together and talk. And he would smile and say salam, at these, say salam to these people for almost 45 minutes sometimes. Just standing there giving salam one by one to every single person, giving them their due in that interaction. I was young. And I used to stand in the shadow of the shurak, peeking over the shoulder of the student standing in front of me. This is where the height came in handy. And I used to think to myself, I wish one day I'm able to offer such a prophetic salam. I hope one day that I'm able to imitate the sunnah of Rasulullah that I'm seeing in front of me right now. I hope I can do this even a fraction of what this is. Moments of growth occur through observation. Sometimes you have to turn your brain off. Not everything is a learning moment. Not everything is an educational moment. That in itself could be a distraction. By no means are we saying that education isn't important, learning the deen isn't important, without doubt. It is absolutely imperative that you know what the Quran and Sunnah is for your growth, but that isn't what causes change. Ilm itself doesn't cause change. Ilm itself offers you an opportunity. Gatherings of knowledge offer you an opportunity. For that change to occur, the human being needs to find strength, ambition, and inspiration. The former is generally a result of the latter two. Inspiration, which then begets ambition, and from there comes the strength to carry out and bring that change. I once heard one of the Mashayikh say, that laziness was the first bid'ah of this ummah. 
Among the companions, laziness was not a thing. You didn't find people not praying salah for weeks on end because they were lazy. Or someone not reading the Qur'an for weeks on end and their reason was they were lazy. That I couldn't be bothered. I, I just, you know, I didn't have time. That wasn't a thing. They were fa'al people. People who did and not just did, they did a lot. They kept doing and kept doing. If there was one thing, it was their motivation to do good. People of fewer words, more action. It seems as if there is a balancing act between these two. That when people talk a lot, their actions take a dip. And then there are those who speak less, and you'll notice that their actions are quite high. If you observe the elders in our community, they won't have 10 ahadiths to recite behind every good deed of theirs, but their good deeds will be more than ours will ever be. Punctual, particular, scheduled, on routine. Younger folks have a lot to say. Because again, we are in an era of knowledge, information, abundance. And it's lost its value. Knowing something in today's world really doesn't mean much. Knowing something basically means that you made a minimal effort to know it. It's not like we have to take on lifelong journeys to go and seek knowledge. That a person says that while I was seeking knowledge, I was, I was sick and ill and had, was hospitalized and there was no one to look after me. And that's the circumstance in which I seek knowledge. They would say before that when a person would go to seek knowledge, after, when they would return back home from their journey, they would be a fraction of their size. They would lose their weight. No food. Malnourished. They hadn't eaten anything. Their skin tone would change. They hadn't nourished their body properly because there was a journey involved. There was a sacrifice involved. When a person said that I narrate a hadith to Rasulullah there was a value there. If someone said that I studied Quran and I read the whole Quran on a teacher, there was a sacrifice involved in that. They left their family, left their home, missed deaths, missed births. They missed weddings. You know, Sheikh Ashraf Litan, he writes that when he was a student, he would take all the letters that he received during the academic year and place them in a basket. Because the letters themselves were a distraction, he would read them at the end of the year. He would open them up and go through them. Someone died. Someone was born. Someone was sick. Someone this, someone that. He didn't want those distractions while he was seeking knowledge because the endeavor of seeking knowledge was so delicate and valuable to him. Nothing should distract me at all. Given that we have different circumstances and today's world is much more convoluted, diluted, we are surrounded by distractions. But when we turn back to the stories of these companions, Ridwanullahi Ali Majma'een, there are those constants that we see that are a result of the suhbah of Rasulullah We can read all we want about these stories, but until you don't see them in action, it may be difficult for you to implement what you learn. These gatherings of ours are not simply about uploading a new chapter of knowledge into your, into your brain or head. This is not what this is. This is not what we do here. These gatherings are about taking a peek into the lives of the companions and absorbing yourself with their companionship in this moment. That's what they're about. 
It's about searching for people who live by these principles and these guides. Not spending a day, two days, a week, or oh, a weekend. But it's about immersing yourself with those people. Allah Azza wa Jal says in the Quran, وَاصْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِيِّ يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَهُ وَلَا تَعْدُ عَيْنَاكَ عَنْهُ That be firm and committed. Waspir, be committed. Commit yourself. Waspir nafsak. مَعَ الَّذِينَ With those يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِيِّ Who call out to their Lord who are involved in the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala morning and evening. These are sincere people. Do not turn your eye away from them. Do not remove your sight. The world is full of distractions. With this muqaddimah, with this introduction in place, we turn our attention to a companion of Rasulullah who was with the Prophet of Allah from the early days of Islam. He was with Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam prior to the Prophet of Allah even arriving in Medina Munawwara. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam publicly invited people to Islam in Makkah Mukarramah, that resulted in a solid pushback from the Quraysh. The Quraysh were on a mission that we have to stop these people. But the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot be stopped by the plotting of a group of people. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam established a center for education and da'wah, development, growth, Darul Arqam. And the companions would gather here. The Prophet of Allah selected a location that was quite public actually. It was a place where the Quraysh walked past, but they never guessed that it was inside here the gatherings were happening. There was a lot of noise there too, the chatter of the market. So people could hear what was happening inside. Darul Arqam. So this young Sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam accepts Islam, and when he accepts Islam, originally he kept his Islam a secret. But as you'll see, with people who truly love something, they aren't able to keep their love a secret. It pours out. It comes out. So naturally. The people around him found out he was a Muslim. And the two people who mattered most in this young companion's life were his mother and father. He was from a wealthy family. And when his parents found out that he became Muslim, they made life very, very, very difficult for him. He was imprisoned, locked away. This was quite common in Makkah Mukarramah in the early days that being Muslim was enough to be imprisoned. It was in the end of the fifth year, early sixth year after prophethood that Rasulullah granted permission to the companions to migrate to Abyssinia. He was one of those companions who also migrated from the persecution of Makkah Mukarramah to Abyssinia. The Prophet ﷺ saw him, saw his sacrifices. Because when he became Muslim, the result of him becoming Muslim was not only was he imprisoned, not only was he 
in not only was he tortured, but the great difficulty for him was his mother and father turned against him. All the luxuries that they gave him, they stripped it away. The man that was known for walking in Medina Munawwara with elegance, whose fragrance left a trail, whose beauty was unmatched, whose robes were elegant second to none. The Honorable Mus'ab bin Umair an, was a legend among the Sahaba. Because him becoming Muslim meant that it was all going to be taken away. And it's at moments like that that a person questions that is it worth it? Should I do this? I can keep my Islam a secret. I can enjoy the luxuries of the world. Being Muslim publicly isn't necessary. Rasulullah gave concessions to other people to practice Islam privately. Why can't I be one of those people that privates Islam, practices Islam privately and maintains the luxuries that I have right now? These thoughts didn't come to his mind because he saw the Prophet of Allah sacrificing for the deen. How men like Musa bin Umair were molded into the form of sacrifice was by walking in the streets of Mecca and laying their eyes on the Mubarak faces of Bilal bin Rabah They laid their eyes on the faces of Sumayya radiallahu anha, Yasir radiallahu anha, Ammar bin Yasir radiallahu anha. When they saw these people and saw what they were doing for the sake of this deen, they took from that energy, that strength, that example, what the Prophet of Allah was going through, and they realized that it was their turn now. In our communities, there is no such thing as sacrifice. People are only willing to practice Islam as long as it meets their convenient schedule. If we understood what sacrifice was, and if we had any value for what it actually offers in return, and, that it, and the barakah that it brings in your life, the reward that Allah gives to you in both worlds off of sacrifice, we would not stop sacrificing for this deed. The success of today is built off of the sacrifice of yesterday. How will there be success tomorrow when today's nation is drowning in Netflix? When we're drowning in threads, Facebook, Instagram, X? X? Yes, no. Yes, X? That's it? No more Twitter? Okay, X. That's it. I wasn't sure if that's... Is that going to catch on or are we going to go back to Twitter? I think it's here to stay. Turned my phone on. I looked on my phone. And it said a big X. I said, "What is this?" I thought my kids downloaded some random app on my phone. Then I clicked on it, and it's Twitter. Sacrifice. The, the success of today is built off of the sacrifice of yesterday. Someone else's blood went into this. Misab bin Umair radiAllahu an was a symbol of suhab, simplicity. His garments of luxury were taken away. All the cream was taken away. All the products were taken away. The fragrance was taken away. He walked around Makkah Mukarramah in tattered garments. When Rasulullah would see him, he'd smile at him. He became so weak, his skin began to dry and crumble. The hasuf al 
like his, his skin began to shed, just like a snake sheds its shell. You guys ever see the skin of a snake? No? Yes? I had never seen a snake shed its skin before until I moved to Texas. We have snakes everywhere here. One day I walked out of the house. We were leaving the house to go somewhere and the kids started shouting, Abba, there's a big snake here, but it's not here. I said, what do you mean it's there? It's not there. I went there and this perfect skin of a snake was there. It was like, like four feet long, five feet long, but the skin was, the snake wasn't there. And then I saw how they just shed their skin and they disappeared. I thought that was fascinating. So that's how they describe what happened to Musa bin Umair But the hasafa jilluhu tahasafa al-hayyah. His skin shed off like a snake. His skin became very dry and weak, meaning his luxuries were a part of him. That's what he grew up with. That was, it wasn't just a luxury for the sake of being a luxury. That's what he knew life to be. His body couldn't keep up with it with what he was facing now, with what he was enduring at that moment. But he did it anyway. For some people, sacrifice comes easy. Being hungry is not a big deal. For some people, fasting is easy. But there are other people, and you know, you know who you are, for them, fasting is very hard, but they do it anyway. They're not fasting because it's convenient or because they're trying to shed pounds. They're doing it because it's hard. They want to see what kind of strength lies at their core. They want to be able to challenge the fears inside their heart, the nafs and the shaitan that is whispering to them, you can't. They're tired of hearing, I can't. So instead of going to the gym and running an extra mile or lying on the bench and pushing out a few extra reps, their way of proving their strength is by fasting for the sake of Allah. That's how they do it. So they endure hunger and thirst. And by the end of the day, there is a foul smell that emerges from their stomach into that that the smell that emerges from their mouth is more beautiful to Allah, more beloved to Allah than that of musk. That smell is a testament to their sacrifice. And any difficulty the human being endures, any exhaustion the human being experiences for the sake of Allah is the most beloved state an insan can be in. You won't find the Qur'an or the hadith praising someone who has a particular hairstyle or wears a particular garment. You know, if you grow your hair out like this and use these products and you look like this, or if you use this skincare product, or if you dress in this way, you won't find that. What you will find, though, is Rasulullah praising the haji who's covered in dust who's covered in sweat, whose clothes are filthy and dirty. Why? Because that sweat, that dirt, that filth, we were just at Hajj a few weeks ago, and I, people were asking me this question, that can I use this soap product? Can I use that soap product? Can I use this scented shampoo, this scented this, this unscented that? All these questions. So then I gathered the group together to speak to them. And in that moment, I said, my friends, put away these shampoos and these soaps. Be comfortable with a little bit of dirt on your body. This dirt is your pride. 
The smell is your pride. It's a sign that we aren't kings. We keep acting like kings. Let's be servants for a few days. Let the smell emerge from your body. Let the dirt weigh you down a little. Remove this symbol of purity from yourself and be a humble servant for Allah. You want to smell good, and I know you want to, because that's a normal thing. It's fitri, it's natural. You want to dress clean, because that's a normal thing. But I'm telling you in this moment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to see you in unkept state. So give that to your Lord. Give that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Musa bin Umayr radiallahu anhu. When he walked around in the streets of Medina Munawwara and Mecca Mukarramah, the companions didn't just see a man that was one day wealthy and today had nothing. They saw a person who embodied and lived sacrifice. A group of people from Medina Munawwara arrived in Mecca during the season of Hajj. In the 11th year after prophethood, Nabi met with them they became Muslim. When they went back to Medina, this was the first group of people that became Muslim from Medina. When they went back to Medina, they then sent a messenger to Rasulullah that send to us a companion who can teach us the deen. Someone who can educate us about Islam. So the Prophet he sent Mus'ab bin Umair radiallahu anhu. He was one of the first companions to uh, go to Medina Munawwara. Historical documents refer to him as the first Sahabi from the Muhajirun to migrate from Mecca to Medina. When he arrives there, he begins to invite them to Islam. And a large group of Sahaba from Medina Munawwara entered into the folds of Islam at the da'wah of Musa'ab bin Umayr. So when the Prophet of Allah arrived in Medina Munawwara, so much of the groundwork was already done. Why did he send Musa bin Umayr radiallahu anhu? One part of sending Musa bin Umayr radiallahu anhu was, he was a younger companion. He was younger than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How old exactly was Musa bin Umayr radiallahu anhu? When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent him, most scholars say he was somewhere in his 30s. Because the historical reports state that when he passed away, he was around 40 years old. This is how old he was when he passed away. So he was somewhere in his 30s when sent by Rasulullah had some maturity, intelligent man, handsome looking, um, and he was a humble person. Nabi knew that he would be a good representation of the Muslims where he went. Simplicity. When the Prophet ﷺ arrived in Medina Munawwar, a lot of the groundwork had already been done by Musa bin Umayr This is important actually. There was a community who once said to me that we are looking to hire an imam. Do you have any advice or nasiha for us? I said to them that prior to hiring an imam, do the proper groundwork so the imam can come and actually do the khidmah. But do the groundwork before the imam comes. Get the khatirahs going, get the community together, do the social events. Don't put your imam in a place where he has to start from the beginning when you could have done the groundwork for the imam. 
I started this example then. That almost two years before Rasulullah arrives in Medina, Musa bin Umair is already there. And the khidmah has started. Nabi gives him permission to pray Jum'ah. And Musa is gathering the companions together for Jum'ah Salah in Medina prior to the arrival of the Prophet of Allah. Nabi hasn't even prayed Jum'ah Salah himself. And Musa bin Umair is leading it in Medina. Jum'ah Salah was not prayed in Mecca Mugarma. For 13 years in Mecca, before migration, there were zero Jum'ah khutbahs offered by Rasulullah The first Jum'ah khutbah delivered by Rasulullah was after the, the Prophet's arrival in Quba, which was outside Medina Munawwara. After he spent some time in Quba and was now headed, the Prophet of Allah left Quba on a Friday. And as he was walking towards Medina Munawwara, the tribe on the way there said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, you spent so many days with our neighbors. Won't you honor us as well? To that, Rasulullah delivered the first Jum'ah khutbah there. For those of you who've been to Medina Munawwara, when you visit Quba, Masjid Quba, you can see right from the front door of Masjid Quba, Masjid Jum'ah. It's right there. You can walk right there in five minutes and be there. That's how close it is. And then from there, another half an hour walk, and you're at Majd al-Nabwi ala sahibi. Alf, alf salawat. Alayhi salatu salam. Now, Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri, rahimahullah ta'ala, says, وَكَانَ أَوَّلُ مَنْ جَمَعَ الْجُمَعَ بِالْمَدِينَةِ بِالْمُسْلِمِينَ First person to gather people together for Jum'ah Salah was Mus'ab bin Umayr This is before the arrival of the Prophet Similarly, the riwayah from Barra radiallahu anhu man qadima alayna min al-muhajireen Mus'ab ibn Umayr The first person to arrive from the muhajirun to Medina Munawwara was Mus'ab bin Umayr radiallahu anhu Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu narrates that one day Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw Mus'ab bin Umair radiallahu anhu. Companions were sitting in a gathering around the Prophet of Allah. Nadara ila Mus'ab ibn Umair muqbilan. That Mus'ab bin Umair radiallahu anhu was walking towards Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Prophet of Allah was looking at him. And he had a, he had a hide on his body. فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم The Prophet of Allah said انظروا إلى هذا الرجل الذي قد نور الله قلبه Look at the Look at this person whose heart Allah has filled with nur and light For I remember the day that he would wear and eat the best of garments لَقَدْ رَعِيتُهُ بَيْنَ أَبَوَيْنِ يَغْدُوَانِ بِأَطْيَبِ الطَّعَامُ وَالشَّرَابِ I remember the day that his mom and dad gave him the best of food and the best of drink. فَدْعَاهُ حُبُّ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ إِلَى مَا تَرَى He went from that, eating at five-star restaurants and dressing in the best of garments, to what you see right now with a simple hide on his body because of Allah and His Rasul صلى الله عليه وسلم. 
His love for Allah and His Messenger led him to where he is right now. One week ago today, seven days, I knew I was going to deliver this topic seven days ago. I made the niyyah to cover this subject, cover this companion in our Tuesday class seven days ago. While I was standing at the grave of Mus'ab bin Umar radiallahu in Medina Munawwara. Mus'ab bin Umar radiallahu is buried next to the mountain of Uhud. He is Al-Badr. He participated in the Battle of Badr. I was looking at the mountain of Uhud. And then in front of me were the shuhada of Uhud. Among them, Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib and Musa'ab ibn Umair radiallahu And these two people, along with the other companions, Jalil al-Qadr, great companions buried there, there was a story that these two graves were telling. On one side, you had a man who gave his life for Rasulullah who gave his courage and strength for the Prophet of Allah, Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib radiallahu he gave up everything for the Prophet And next to him, Musa bin Umair who had the same story. And not only these two, but all the Sahaba that were buried there were speaking one statement from their silent graves as we stood at those graves giving salam to them. And what were they saying from those graves? That this is the outcome of those who love Allah and His Rasul. They never tire of sacrificing for their commitment. Some of the believers are those who are truthful to their commitment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The commitment they made to Allah, they are truthful to it. They understand that what they have said, their la ilaha illallah will come with a challenge and they are willing to take it on. He was with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the companions. Muhammad ibn Shurahbil qala, Hamala Mus'abu, Hamala Mus'abu liwa'a, yawma uhad. That Mus'ab bin Umair radiallahu anh was granted the flag of the Muslims on the battle of Uhad. So when the Muslims were um, fighting in the thick of it, and the battle took a turn. First half of the battle was in favor of the Muslims, and the second half of the battle, not so in favor of the Muslims. Musa bin Umair found himself surrounded by enemies, soldiers from the Quraysh. They wanted to take him down because he was holding the flag. فَأَقْبَلَ إِبْنُ قُمْأَةَ Ibn Qum'a who fought on behalf of the Quraysh, a very strong man. He approached Musa bin Umair radiallahu anhu, yumna aha. He struck the arm, the right arm of Musa bin Umair radiallahu anhu, and he cut it. Yaqul, while Musa radiallahu anhu was saying, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُولٌ And Muhammad is not but a messenger, and many messengers have passed before. That if he was killed or he passed away, would you abandon the deen? 
He's reading the ayah regarding abandonment as his right arm is being cut. He was not one to abandon the deen. So then he tossed over the flag to his left. So Ibn Qum'a then struck the left arm and cut it off as well. وَمُصْعَبْ يَقُولُ وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرَّسُولٌ He reads the same ayah again after being struck a second time. فَحَنَا عَلَى اللِّوَاءِ وَضَمَّهُ بِعَضُدَيْهِ إِلَى صَدْرِهِ So then he took what remained of his, what remained of his arms and hugged that flag that represented Islam and the Prophet of Allah and brought it to his chest. وَهُوَ يَقُولُ وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرَّسُولٌ He's reading this ayah again and again, reminding us, speaking to Muslims sitting in Carrollton, Texas, you don't turn your back on the deen. If your arm gets chopped, it's okay. You'll get a more beautiful one in Jannah. You lose another arm, it's okay. You'll get a more beautiful one in Jannah. The amazing thing is that no one's coming to chop our arms. Alhamdulillah. But there are other sacrifices. They're everywhere. You can't be shy. You can't be afraid. Be okay with it. Being a Muslim comes at a cost. You may have to sacrifice a social life, social nights. You might need to leave the party life. You might not be able to do some of the things that other people are doing. You may need to sacrifice certain gatherings. Possibly wearing hijab means that you may not get married as other people are getting married. It's nothing more than a lie. It's just shaitan whispering to your ear. Because shaitan loves making false promises. Somehow this loyalty to Allah will bring khair. The people who won't marry you because you're wearing your hijab are not worth a moment of your companionship in the dunya or in the akhir. If they have such a dislike for a symbol of the deen, then why would a person even consider the possibility of living their life with them. What good will companionship bring to you if the people that are a part of the core center of your life don't want you to be closer to Allah and His Rasul? For those of you who can find companions and inspire you with the love of Allah and His Messenger, you are lucky people. Someone's dua really came in clutch. You're blessed. Thank Allah subhanahu that I have such people in my life. And so then Ibn Qumar came with a spear the third time and thrust it in the chest of Mus'ab bin Umair radiallahu an, and he fell down. وقال ابن سعد وقال عبد الله بن فضل قتل مسعب وأخذ اللواء No, sorry, leave that away. Um, the next in the Uriah I'll share with you. That after Musa bin Umair radiallahu an was martyred, Ali radiallahu an picked up the flag and he fought on on behalf of the Muslims. When the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the companions concluded the battle of Uhud and the Muslims faced an apparent defeat, the Prophet of Allah walked around the battlefield. مر على مصعب بن عمير مقتولا على طريقه. The Prophet of Allah saw the body of Musa bin Umayr 
and he stood at it. And as the Prophet of Allah was standing at his body, he is lying there, martyred, and the Sahaba are all with him. And they're watching the Prophet of Allah. What's his response? So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam first of all began to cry seeing him. And then he recited, Min From the believers are those men who fulfilled their commitment to Allah. This man, I remember him saying he loved Allah. He gave it all up. And today he lies here on the ground being martyred. And when it came time to bury him, they didn't have enough cloth to cover his whole body. And so the Prophet of Allah cried again. And the Sahaba around him also cried. Now what a legacy. No name, unmarked. You go to those graves, unmarked. There's no big placard there. Not even enough of a kafan to cover the person's body. But the ikhlas of that person was such that frozen in time, crystallized. How is it possible that a person sacrifices for Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't preserve them? It's impossible. Learn to be comfortable with sacrifices. Learn to be comfortable with tests from Allah. People who are in the earlier phase of their religious growth they struggle a lot with sacrifices. They can't make sense out of it. It crumbles them, it breaks them. But as you spend more time with the stories of the companions and even beyond that, stories of the prophets, what you see is that these people performed best when they were tested by Allah. They were very content and happy. They weren't trying to run away from where they were. That, Ya Allah, I will be here as long as you want me to be here. And I'm very content knowing that you know that I am here. That the knowledge of my Lord suffices me. Of any question that I have, any desire that I have, any choice that I have, I don't care anymore because I know that my Lord knows the state that I'm in. So I'm very happy where I am. And as Musa'ab bin Umayr is being martyred, you try to put yourself in his shoes. One arm is chopped off and he's very comfortable with where he is. That yes, it's gone, but it's gone in the path of Allah. Preserving the honor of the Prophet of Allah thousand arms of a human being can be chopped off, but no harm should ever be brought to the deen. Abdurrahman bin Uthr was one day presented with some food. So when he saw the food, he began to cry. Someone asked him, why are you crying? He said that I remember the day that Musa bin Umayr had no food at all. I remember the day that Musa bin Umayr was shrouded and we did not have anything but one cloth to cover his body 
And today I'm sitting at home eating these luxurious foods. He said, I fear that what if Allah has given me all the luxuries destined for me in this world, and there's nothing left for me in the hereafter. And this thought made him cry. And why would it not make him cry? Because he saw him. He said, Abdurrahman Uthra the Allah one Uti Abdurrahman ibn Auf Bita Amin Fajala Yabki Kala Hutila Hamza Falam Yujad Mayu Kafanu fi illa Thoban Wahidan Wakutila Musab Falam Yujad Mayu Kafanu fi illa Thoban Wahidan. The people greater than me, Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib and Musab bin Umair the Allah one. So the next time in your life you're struggling. You can't make a payment or you're struggling with some health issue or you're struggling with a marriage, with children. Remember the likes of Mus'ab bin Umair and Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib. That how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested them. The other arm of Mus'ab bin Umair is severed and he's not a fearful at all because it's as if, you know, the lesson being taught to us is that all the physical pain that a human being can endure All the physical pain a human being encounters in this world amounts to nothing. As long as in that state, while you encounter that pain, your heart is connected to Allah and His Rasul. This is what a shaheed actually is. A shaheed is not just someone who can endure the most pain or someone that gives their life. A shaheed is someone who is willing to take the sacrifice on of death while their heart is committed to Allah and His Rasul, that's why they are shaheed. And those hearts can never die, those people cannot experience death because they have transitioned from this world with the ultimate life. A person has transitioned from this dunya with the love of Allah and His Rasul embedded in every fiber of their existence that their body is now bleeding out. And that blood is flowing because of what they are willing to forbear for the sake of this deed. One time, some companions were sitting with Rasulullah and Rasulullah saw one companion who was wearing, wearing very nice clothes. And then another companion passed by who was wearing tattered garments, Musab bin Umair radiallahu. وَكَانَ أَنْعَمَ غُلَامًا بِمَكَّةً The narrator says that even though he was wearing tattered garments in that moment, he was the one with the most luxuries earlier on when they lived in Mecca. So when the Prophet ﷺ was reminded of what he had before and what he was wearing now, the Prophet ﷺ began to cry. And he asked the companions that the luxury that you guys have today, is it better or the sacrifice that we endured yesterday? Which one's better? Which one do you think is better? They said, نَحْنُ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ خَيْرٌ نُكْفَ الْمَأُونَ مُؤْنَةٌ 
that today is better for us. Obviously, we have more money because we have jobs, we have money. Now we can take care of our mauna, our basic needs. And, and, uh, and so therefore, we have more time for worship. The Prophet ﷺ said, that sorry the, the narration is the other way around regardless I mean the Prophet ﷺ is telling the companions so they are saying that at that time when we had more was superior for us and Rasulullah is saying no even though at that moment in your life you had more and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had had freed you of your financial needs, today is better for you. Because today, is it's true that you don't have wealth today, and tomorrow a day will come that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you wealth, and you're thinking that one day when that comes, and we're going to have wealth, and everything's going to be perfect, and, 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 and we're going to have, you know, like, pantries full of food, and fridges and freezers full of meat. Nabi Sallallahu is telling them, a day like that will come. But today you don't have it. Nabi Sallallahu is saying to them that you think tomorrow is better, but today is better for you than that day. Because today you are tested by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and just the fact that you exist and you remain committed to this deen in these circumstances, it speaks volumes of the weight of your iman. So with that, we'll conclude here. Today's lesson was a powerful one with many lessons embedded in it. The one thing we learn from the lives of the companions, and today we learn from the life of Musa bin Umair is to not be afraid of being tested by Allah. When presented with the choice of materialism and faith, always side with faith and leave the material. The material will come and go. The material is not a sign of Allah's love. If anything, it's a sign of a test of Allah. Turn the TV on, go online and look at reels and posts and these different social media accounts and all you'll see is people flaunting their wealth because the assumption is the more you have, the more successful you are. That by no means is a gauge of your iman. It'll all be about which shoes are next, which watch is next, which backpack is next. Everything has a tier to it. That's how the markets are built out, right? Toilets have tears in them. What kind of toilet do you want? You go to Lowe's and you go there to buy like a toilet seat and the guy's like, what kind do you want? You're like, what? What do you mean? What kind do I want? This one right here is heated. What do you mean heated? It's heated. Everything has a tear to it. It's an upgrade. You want a watch? What kind of watch do you want? What kind of do you want for the watch? What kind of clasp do you want? There's an upgrade there too. What kind of metal do you want in that clasp? What shape do you want it to be? There are upgrades there. What kind of shoes do you want? If you get caught in the detail, the dunya and its material will paralyze you, you from ever focusing on anything else. You'll be locked. Its web is widely spun out. It just needs you to look towards it and it'll pull you in. That's the way it is. The dunya tries to deceive me. 
كأني لست أعرف حالها as if I don't know anything about it this statement is attributed to Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib he said the material world tries to allure me it thinks I don't understand what it's doing it extended its right arm to me so I cut its right and left arm both off it only extended the right but I cut the left off as well just out of precaution so it stops reaching towards me altogether in another place, Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib said, Oh dunya, I have divorced you three times, a separation after which there can be no reconciliation. This relationship is over. We're not going anywhere. He used to shave his head. Ali bin Abi Talib lived a very humble life. Wore garments that wore garments that were patched. Humility, humbleness. Sayyidina Musa bin Umair sacrificed it all. And he continued to sacrifice for the rest of his life. And the Prophet of Allah, every time he saw Musa bin it brought tears to his eyes. Nabi knew where he came from, what his past was, what he was, what he could have had. And the Prophet of Allah also very well knew why he was where he was. I mean, what are you guys doing here? Why are you not at home? Why are you not in your own states? What are you guys doing here right now when you could be at home eating food of mama and baba, having delicious meals? The reason why you're here is because somewhere tucked away in the corner of your heart, there is a voice saying that you should go and study the deen. So you booked a ticket and flew out here. And this is your life now. This is where you are. It's not easy. No one said it's easy. But there is great reward here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved the mention of Musa bin Umair And we make dua to Allah as we conclude today's gathering that he blesses us with the ability to walk in the footsteps of these great giants. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspire our hearts, grant us strength, Grant us tawfiq, ikhlas. May he surround us by giants, by sincere servants whose hearts are immersed in the remembrance and love of Allah and his Rasul, alayhi salatu May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pull us by our forelock to his obedience and save us from the poisonous temptations of the dunya. وصلى الله تعالى على سيدنا محمد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته